With the McDonald's app, you can get your favorite thing delivered to your door. So if you were looking for a reason to skip washing those dishes you left in the sink, consider this a sign. Right now, get $0 delivery fee with any purchase of $15 or more, only in the app. At participating McDonald's, minimum purchase excludes tax and service fees. Delivery prices may be higher than in restaurants. Other fees may apply. Not valid with any other offer, discount, or coupon. Well, welcome in, everybody. A brand new edition of the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast. I am the somewhat capable host, TJ Reeves. He is the man that you are wanting to hear. You read him all the time. The owner, the operator, the purveyor of SportsMediaWatch.com is Dr. John Lewis. Back aboard for another edition in which we uh, try to figure out the spin control and the damage control from ESPN and the college football playoff championship blowout by Georgia. We look at the conclusion of the NFL regular season from a rating standpoint, and the wild card weekend is this weekend. There's other news involving a little controversy, maybe more than a little controversy, in whether the NFL actually wanted to wait around some more and restart the Bills-Bengals game in Cincinnati that was eventually stopped and uh, suspended and and is never going to be made up uh, between those two teams uh, because of the horrific events around the cardiac arrest uh, of Damar Hamlin. Uh, Thankfully, Hamlin is much better, but there's a story out on ESPN.com about some of what was going on behind the scenes that is fascinating, and it's right in our wheelhouse on what we do. With all of that being said, thank you for finding us. Dr. John Lewis, good to be with you on another edition of the show. Good to be with you as well. Okay. So by the way, however you found us through John's site or a a social media link, whatever the case is, make sure that you are following, subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, etc. Let's begin with the blowout. We now know that Georgia has annihilated TCU. Shocking. My hand is up figuratively and literally. John can see my hand up. I thought this was going to be a close game. By the way, I should say for the record that John is in purple while we're doing the uh, oh, the game. Yeah. You don't have a black armband on, though, with the purple like the rest of TCU has right now. I'm shocked that it was that big of a blowout. And now yeah. I'm not shocked that the ratings were not good for ESPN because, as you preached, the fundamental biggest key is you've got to have a good game. And this was over. This was Mike Tyson late 80s, early 90s knockout in the first round over. Uh, on Monday night. So let's begin right there because the the numbers are not good for ESPN and the championship blowout. No, it's uh, 17.2 million viewers, the uh, lowest audience yet for the national championship game in the BCS and CFP era. So that's 25 years. Previous low was set two years ago when Alabama beat a six-win Ohio State team in an empty stadium. And that was a blowout too. Uh, that was uh, over 18.6 million. That's the undercounted number. So probably somewhere like 18.8, 18.9, maybe 19 million. But uh, this year, 17.2 million. Uh, terrible number for the title game, but obviously exceeds most of last year's sporting events. Actually, fewer viewers than the college basketball title game, which is very rare. Interesting. Uh, but you know, Kansas, Kansas, North Carolina. You mean from yeah, that, uh, the that, Superdome in March in April? Yeah, and that was a great competitive game so it says a lot about the popularity of college football because that game between kansas and unc was actually lower i was wrong that kansas unc game was 17.1 million on linear tv uh turner with the if you include the the streaming numbers uh would be over 18 million 
I don't really know how that works with ESPN because they don't break out separate streaming numbers from mm-hmm. other companies. They only use Nielsen. So I'm just going to stick with linear. And so it actually was was higher than the basketball. And again, uh, go back because you do a great job on the site. What were the semifinals? The, the the TCU Michigan game was one of the highest rated semifinals or playoff games they've ever had, right? Yeah, what was that number? Twenty two point four and twenty one point seven million. Yeah. So they they lost roughly four or five million in audience, and the game wasn't on New Year's Eve. The game was on a Monday yeah. night here as a standalone buildup. Nothing else really of magnitude going on. And it just speaks to once Georgia got up 31-7, 38-7, and the game's going to the half, most of America's tuning out. Even if you're the hardest of hardcore, it was tough to watch. And then it became 45-7 and, yeah. and 52-7. to uh, I would have to believe the back half of that audience just yeah. dropped dramatically. John, you may have that more specifically, or you may write about it on the site. The back, the back half of that audience had to be even worse for the second yeah. half of that game. One would expect that to be a terrible number down the stretch. I mean, I don't have the, the numbers in front of me, but, you know, by the end, you only had the Atlanta market, you would think. Right? <laughs> for the Georgia Bulldogs yeah. in the uh, in the South. And give them full credit uh, for being able to get the win. Uh, and it, it's not up to them as to whether or not TCU can be competitive or not. Did you sample any of the mega cast stuff, by the way, no. with Pat McAfee and Robert Griffin III and all those guys doing the mega cast? I, I, I dipped in a couple times, Tim Tebow being there uh, as well on a couple of different channels. I didn't stay very long. And obviously, they would probably aggregate that. I don't know that it's going to mean that much, ultimately, from ESPN2 or ESPNU or the streaming or anything else they were doing. Yeah, I mean, I I didn't catch much of it. Um, it was just a traditional broadcast for me, and uh, I haven't seen the breakout yet. Might see it momentarily. Um, let me see. I still don't have that available to me. But you know, look, I mean, realistically, that might be the only broadcast where you maintained the audience all the way through for the McAfee stuff because there was no reason to stick with the traditional broadcast with McAfee. You get a little bit more entertainment. So. Uh, but uh, there's nothing you can do with 60, 65 to 7. You can't do anything with that. No, there, there is no doubt. And by the way, while we're putting a couple other things out there, I've covered this event. I was at the first four college football playoff championship games going all the way back to the inaugural one in AT&T Stadium uh, in Dallas that Ohio State won over Oregon, over Marcus Mariota, the Heisman winner in Oregon. Uh, a great triumph for the Buckeyes. That's the lone Big Ten win, by the way, in the college football playoff. Uh, move forward to the exciting Alabama win over Clemson at uh, now what is now State Farm Stadium in Glendale, Arizona. Move forward to another phenomenal game in Tampa at Raymond James Stadium uh, for Alabama and Clemson. The rematch won by Deshaun Watson and Clemson. And then a fantastic overtime game, Alabama and Georgia in Atlanta at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. So having been at all of those and seen all the excitement, can I just say on the sportsmediawatch.com podcast here, we don't have to have the game in California anymore because the two games in California, Clemson and Alabama, John, help me, that is 2018 title game, I believe, outside in Santa Clara uh, at the 49ers home, Levi Stadium, in the rainstorm, terrible game. And now you have a game at SoFi Stadium where they were literally charging $250 to $300 to park to park your vehicle outside of the stadium with no tailgating allowed. And then you have stormy weather again and a horrible game. I think the college football playoff can pretty well be done with California. I'm just saying yeah. as an editorial comment well, after I mean, two samples of that. 
it's college football and uh, maybe 15 years ago when usc was good it might have made more sense mm-hmm. this is a southern sport maybe midwestern it sure as heck is not a california sport west coast uh there may be good teams out there but the culture is all in the south and Look, it's not going to change anytime soon. No. I mean, they should really have uh, all of these games should be sponsored by the Bama Jelly. You ever, <laughs> you ever seen that jelly in the store down in the South? I don't know about Bama Jelly. You're it's educating definitely. me on that. I have not seen Bama Jelly. I would assume Bama it's Jelly. like red, right? Like strawberry jam. Yeah. It's I'm looking be. right at it. The Bama okay. brand jellies. We're and giving Bama. them a good plug. The Bama Jelly brand. Okay. You've never heard of it? You've never I had not heard of it until right now. I know all about Golden Flake. I, I know all about uh, RC Cola and all the other uh, stereotypical Southern mm-hmm. drinks and food and snacks and Bayer aspirin and whatever. <laughs> I think TCU would need plenty of Bayer aspirin after yeah. uh, after that game. But yes, uh, again, college football is big business and I get it. By the way, there was one more almost comical, ironic part that the game was so bad in the second half and the rain was coming through in Southern California. They're having, and they get this a lot in January. January is a rainy time in Southern California and in California in general, that the rain was coming through because the, the ends John of SoFi stadium are kind of open-ended and the rain was coming through what is a covered roof, a mostly covered stadium. And it was raining right on the TCU section of thousands of fans that were still remaining. If they hadn't cleared out yet. Yeah. Uh, in one part of the stadium while being beaten 58 to 7, 65 to 7. Just one more footnote uh, on that. So we put the college football season to bed again. The semifinals were great. And, yeah. and the uh, whole CFP games. was up. Yeah. As a, overall, but not because yeah. of the championship game. And no. I say, and I say one more time, I'm on the front end. Just remember this. You're going to see next year when they play the first two weekends of uh of the eight games they'll play in the first weekend or uh, the four games they play in the first weekend and the eight games before that before we get to the semifinals you're going to see five or six games just like what you saw on Monday night that are blowouts by the Big 10 in particular but mostly the SEC you're going to see those kind of games so yeah. you want 11 postseason games instead of three you're going to see a lot of one-sided games yeah. with an Alabama a Georgia a Tennessee and LSU putting the thumping on whoever out of the out of the groups of pick one Oregon, Kansas State, those yeah. kind of teams that are going to be in the playoffs. We'll see. Well, the problem for college football is that I mean I don't really know how the Georgia Ohio State game ended up being so good. You know, I mean maybe Georgia was just having a bad night, uh, but you know th- th- this nonsense where the SEC can just beat anybody and the SEC wins every year. I mean, nobody wants to see that. Nobody wanted to see UConn win in every year in women's. But somebody's got to beat them. And to your point, yeah. in, in women's basketball, they've caught up. And the Mississippi States and the South Carolinas and the and the Notre Dames and, yeah. and the others caught up. And in, and in college football, catch up. And it's not just one team. I mean, you go over the course of the last uh, you know 15 years, it's five or six SEC teams between Georgia and Alabama and LSU right. and Auburn and Florida. And it's incumbent on everybody else. To catch up. And part of it, back to your point, is Ohio State had three weeks to get ready for yeah. that for that semifinal game, and they had a chip on their shoulder from being beaten badly by Michigan. See, they got the advantage, unfortunately, that TCU will never have. They had a bad game at home with Michigan where Michigan wiped them out, especially in the second half, and they got a second chance at it and played a really good final game and almost won it with Georgia. TCU will never get that chance. They played a really bad championship game. Credit Georgia on a lot of it. And uh, and and one thing that we saw again 
is the speed on both sides of the ball of the SEC, uh, the skill positions, uh, the the offensive line and the defensive line. It will overwhelm you, and it certainly overwhelmed the Horn Frogs. And I did not. Again, I'm saying this on the show. I didn't think that was going to happen. I thought they were physical enough against Michigan to demonstrate they could play with Georgia. But man, that was just a trap door, and they were gone on uh, on Monday night. Anything in closing there as we put the college football to bed? Uh, you know, look, I mean, this is a sport that puts out such a good product week after week after week, but it it tends to end on a crummy note. This is not like the NCAA tournament. You don't get those epic title games. That's why the semifinals were so unusual. Uh, and uh, they keep trying to figure out how to make it good, how to make it right. I, I, I just don't know that college football is a sport that lends itself to playoffs. Uh, you know, I mean, maybe it's like the Premier League. The season is what people are after. And maybe the way to end the season is with one big final glorious full college football Saturday, you know, in January or on New Year's Day or whenever, where you have, you know, X amount of ranked teams battling. And then you just kind of whoever gets the number one ranking after that. And maybe maybe what you can do is in years where there's any question where you have two teams that are just both equally good and they didn't play each other all season maybe then you get a little bonus title game you know or something like that i'm laughing because you're describing first of all like the 60s 70s and 80s yeah. on vote on it and then you just started describing the 90s and the 2000s with the bcs of let's just get yeah. the top two teams together yeah. if they haven't played and again i'm on the front end you're gonna have just as much screaming and anticlimactic stuff when you have a 12 team playoff and 11 games here as opposed to the three just get ready for it next year is going to be the final year of a final four with just trying to determine who are the two best teams get the two best teams together in the title game and then really what takes over is a second season a second season of 12 teams battling over four weekends is what it's going to become. And I don't think it's going to be as good. Well, and you're going to have plenty of blowouts and plenty of screaming on the first couple of uh, weekends of it. The only way it'll be good is if the SEC plays the SEC, you know, right. And that, and that's not going to be in every case. You're what you're going to yeah. basically whittle down to in a lot of cases. This is just the truth. Look at the sample size. Going back to 2006 and how many times the SEC has been in the title game and won it or been in the college football playoff and won the semifinal and won the title game. This is not just some willy-nilly opinion. It's factually based that more than likely your your final eight, your final four is always going to have four or five and two or three SEC teams in it. Just get ready. Get ready. It's the the last time coming up that you're going to have it the way that it's been. The semifinals were great. Other than that, you yep. look back, you're probably looking at Florida State, Oklahoma, or Kansas, Arkansas, you know, as, as the games that right. the bowl season is at its best on those lazy days between Christmas and New Year's when there's nothing else going on and you get a really good game that you weren't expecting to get. Good point. And, you know, it's just this build up to the big title game. This is not the old days when you had USC and Texas. And even back then you had USC, Oklahoma the year before, you know, that was such a route. It was a blowout, uh, right? Yeah. I mean, the, the really good games are few and far between. 
All right, so that segues us off of college football and onto the NFL and the final regular season weekend has concluded. We now are ready for the wild card weekend coming up. Again, I was involved with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers radio broadcast of the Bucs finale with the Atlanta Falcons having already wrapped up the division title, nothing to play for, already knowing their slot, already knowing that they had a home game in the NFC. It meant nothing for the Falcons. It meant nothing for the NFC playoff picture. But you had a lot of compelling games Saturday and into Sunday, beginning with the Chiefs, trying to lock up the one seed in the AFC in the afternoon on Saturday against the Raiders, which they did. A winner-take-all AFC South title game. Jaguars eventually in the final minutes beat Tennessee, qualified for the playoffs. They get a home game. It went all the way through Sunday, John, and then into Sunday night, where again the Lions uh, amazingly beat the Green Bay Packers when the Packers had everything to play for to make the playoffs and the Lions had nothing to play for. I keep joking, and I will try it out on you and the audience here, that whatever Dan Campbell drinks – Pete Carroll ought to buy him a case of it, John Lewis, because yeah. the Seahawks are in the playoffs, not only because of their own win, but because the Lions played tough and beat the Packers at Lambeau with nothing to play for and put the Seahawks in by virtue of the of the Packers losing. So all of that being said, how were the numbers Saturday, Sunday, and overall as the NFL season concludes real quick? Well, you know, it was a good weekend. The big draw was the Bills game. Uh, went to 79% of markets on CBS, and CBS had their most watched uh, window in the re- final week of the regular season since 2011. Uh, they all did pretty well. Uh, Fox actually did not do that well, now that I think about it. But their late window was up. Their early window was really low because of the competition from the Bills game. NBC saw a big increase in a multi-year high. Good way to end the season. ESPN and ABC, those Saturday games were both down but only about single digits. And, you know, it's the Raiders, the Titans, and Jaguars. Last year, you had Cowboys-Eagles in that Titans-Jaguars slot. So being down only 5 6% from that is actually really impressive. Uh, and uh, considering how bad the Raiders had been, that window being down only, uh, you know, 9% in rating, 7% in viewership from last year, you know, it was Chiefs and Broncos. I, I think that's pretty good, too. So... All things being said, good week 18, good heading into the uh, the playoffs. And the real story isn't even the ratings. The real story is that ESPN and ABC gets that Cowboys-Buccaneers game Monday night. Yeah, we're going to morph into that in just a second. A couple more. Uh, I don't know if you were watching live. I couldn't see it live. We became aware. What a storybook. And that's the word, Jim, uh, the phrase that Jim Nance used on CBS. This is Hollywood. This is storybook. Uh, with Naheem Hines' kickoff return for a touchdown to begin the Bills game after the horrible events uh, that happened in uh, in Cincinnati with DeMar Hamlin's collapse and having to uh, have CPR performed on him on the field. What a breakout. What a story. What a story that yeah. has been. What a story it continues to be. I don't know if you were able to see that live, but, I mean, that went viral. It went everywhere yeah. immediately. I, was jo- I, I give the Patriots credit. They hung it in the game. I was jokingly saying they can go get on the bus. 15 seconds into the game, they can go get on the bus. They're not beating the Bills today with all that emotion uh, pinned up. So I don't know if you got to see some of that live as everything was unfolding because most of the country was seeing that on CBS. Yeah, no, I saw that. uh, And it was, uh, you know, I mean, it was it certainly was a a good way to start the game uh, for Buffalo and for a lot of folks. And I think, uh, you know, it's very interesting how this story has turned out, you know, the night of, I mean, realistically, I think, it was a lot like that night at Daytona uh, three years ago when Ryan Newman crashed and you could hear in the voices of Mike Joy and Jeff Gordon that they all thought that Ryan Newman had died. And I think everybody thought that. Uh, and, sure. 
Brian Newman, two days later, is just walking out of the hospital with his kids uh, like nothing ever happened. And this is a lot like that because, you know, that night at Daytona really felt like Dale Earnhardt had happened again. And, you know, Monday night or, or I guess a week ago Monday, I really expected to hear that DeMar Hamlin was going to pass away. So the fact that he's out of the hospital is miraculous. Obviously, when you're 24 years old, you have a better chance of surviving cardiac arrest when you're 24, when you're 24 and a you know high level athlete, when you're 24 and a high level athlete and you collapse in a stadium filled with trainers and personnel and sure. defibrillators. But still, I would I would consider that at least somewhat miraculous that he's, you know, back. out. Yes. Of so you combine his steadily his steady improvement and all, all the way people are already feeling good with that opening kickoff. And it was really uh, a really feel good moment for the NFL. And, uh, you know, people should not take that for granted because that's just not the way it's always going to go. I mean, hopefully there won't be another cardiac arrest on any field or court or ice anytime soon. I mean, it is true, by the way, that we've had these things happen with people in their hearts in the NHL a few times and mm-hmm. they survive, you know? Um, but, you know, for the most part, we should not be expecting good news when that happens. And so no doubt. And, and to your point, uh, I didn't, pardon me. I didn't mean to Sorry. cut you off there, but uh, to your point, uh, Chris Pronger, we talked about last week on this podcast with a very similar incident from what we believed happened where he got, he got hit with the puck, went down electrical shock to his heart, cardiac arrest. They brought him back CPR, Brought him back. Pronger went on to play 12 more years, to your point, and made the Hockey Hall of Fame. The player Christian Eriksson for the Danish national team still plays professional soccer and plays for the Danish national team after that incident that you're talking about. Who knows if DeMar Hamlin will ever play again? Don't know, but he has survived. That's the most important thing, and maybe it's a rallying cry for Buffalo. I want to bring it back to the ratings just for a couple of seconds. Dallas, Washington, and interesting, that was the national game on Fox at 425 Eastern time. Philadelphia and the Giants also had playoff implication same time at CBS. And didn't the two broadcasts kind of cannibalize each other, even though they had relevance for the same division and the chance to win the same division and be the number one seed? Oh, absolutely. You know, that always happens. That's why Fox and CBS don't like having the competing doubleheader. Uh, Fox was upset that the NFL started doing that in week one. So, you know, that's going to happen when you have two competing windows going up against each other. And the overall audience was was big, right? You know, you combine it's like 30 something million viewers, but ultimately you're not going to be able to, as an individual network, draw as well as you normally would. That's why the week 17 milestones are are usually a little bit less than what you would see in other weeks, at least for Fox and CBS. But, uh, you know, I mean, certainly 20 million viewers is still pretty good. So I don't think you're you're complaining too much if you're Fox. And-, and boy, the Cowboys didn't do any favorites. Here we go again with good game. They stunk for a lot of that Washington game and were not in it in the fourth quarter, which hurt. Uh, and then to Sunday night, I mentioned the Lions upset of the Packers. Now, we have not had a Sunday night game to finish every year to compare it to. It's kind of been there, not been there. It was back this time around. Give us some perspective on how the number did and if you have it comparatively to some other Sunday nights to close seasons, if you have it. Yeah, well, there's only one year where they didn't do the one the, the Sunday night game. That was the uh, Trump year where Trump was ripping the ratings every week. And I don't think that was a coincidence because they kind of that was New Year's Eve, too. So New Year's Eve night, 
it's a bad year already. People are already, you know, sniffing around the ratings, constantly looking for their narrative. I'm not surprised they, they they skipped it that year. Every other year they've done one. And uh, I thought there were a couple where they had not done one. There's only been one. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, I think it's just one. I okay. think it's just one because, the you know, um, yeah, just, just, just 2017 when it was New Year's Eve. And they had done it. There's only other there's only been one other year since Sunday night went to NBC where where, uh, New Year's Eve fell on a Sunday. That was the year. Remember, Favre was everyone thought he was going to retire because he was tearing up at the interview with Andrea Kramer. They were playing all Lang Zined in the background and everything. Uh, And then it didn't mean anything because he came back for like four more years. (laughs) But uh, that game back in 06, (laughs) that didn't do very well. Right. So I think that also influenced the decision in 17 next year. New Year's is on the Sunday night, but it'll be week 17, not week 18. So interesting. NBC will probably skip that Sunday night and maybe have uh, a Saturday night game that week instead. But we'll see what the NFL decides. And how did and how did this one do ultimately here with the drama where the Packers were trying to make the playoffs game went all the way to the very end and Detroit was able to, to beat them in the final minutes. It did all right. Yeah, it did quite well. It was uh, 22.5 million viewers. And, you know, NBC was really stinking up the joint the final weeks of the season. They had a bad schedule. Every single flex game was a a weak game. Uh, This was actually their first increase since uh, Cowboys uh, Colts. You remember when everyone was complaining about that game staying on the schedule, the first increase since then. And the first game that they've had with at least 17.2 million viewers the equivalent of that national title game that we just talked about the first game with at least 17.2 million since that uh, Cowboys Colts game back in early December. The new super beats heart shoes advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10 support your healthy CoQ10 levels and blood pressure with two chews a day. Visit radio beats, B E E T S.com and save 15% with promo code deal. Interesting. Uh, and, it- and their most watched game since Thanksgiving overall. Okay, and the and the interesting part is they had a Baltimore Pittsburgh game that had playoff implications the previous week. Now they have gotten for the Sunday night game coming up here, uh, Baltimore again with Cincinnati in the immediate rematch where the Bengals and uh, and Ravens are playing right back again because of how things worked out uh, on the weekend. So we'll see how that one does in comparison on Sunday. Real quick, do you have a projection? Uh, I know the Saturday night primetime. A game will be the Jaguars and the Chargers. The Sunday night game, again, is Cincinnati and Baltimore, and then we lead to Monday night, the game I will work on radio uh, with Buccaneers and Dallas Cowboys on ESPN Monday Night Football. Any thoughts, any projections on any of those and how they might do? I think the Monday night game, I I would say at least $30 because of the matchup. Um, So that is going to be massive. You know, ESPN's playoff game. With your caveat, it's got to be a good game. Yeah, because we have, you know, yes, it can maybe still get to 25 million, even if it's a bad game. Right. But the the thought would be if it's if it's going to rise, it's going to be because the second half is dramatic and it's not one sided. And I will testify self-deprecating. You'll smile. You know this. The Buccaneers don't blow anybody out. So, yeah. so it's going to probably be a good game. And yeah. and by the way, if the Buccaneers are down a touchdown or down 10 in the fourth quarter, more than likely Tom Brady's bringing them back because that's happened yeah. over and over again this year. So it bodes well for ESPN and ABC. Yeah. I think so. I think it'll be a good matchup. Uh, you know, remember these two teams played in week one, the most watched, uh, second most watched game on NBC all season. Only the Thanksgiving Day game had. Wow. More viewers. So what was the you know, total audience? 
for week one? Uh, 23.3 million. All right. So there's a barometer now that it's a playoff game and a standalone playoff game. You know what I heard? I'm giving you a little skinny here. Uh, I had a couple of NFL people and a couple different people in the broadcast industry that have been kicking this around, and I've heard this a couple of places. They were waiting on Sunday night, the NFL and the TV partners, they were waiting for Green Bay because had Green Bay won, there was serious consideration the Monday night game was going to be Green Bay at San Francisco. Had it come out that way, as it turns out, it's Seattle in San Francisco. So they kind of switched their mindset. That was at least being discussed as the potential uh, Monday night game. And again, Fox ends up, you know, Fox has these NFC teams that would typically be an NFC game. You know, the Green Bay uh, San Francisco game would have typically been an NFC game. So now they get Giants and Vikings in the 430 Eastern time slot there. Do you think it's a really good possibility that Giants against the Vikings does better than the Sunday night Cincinnati Baltimore and and maybe the Monday Oh, yeah. Game Cowboys well, and Bucks, or do you think Cowboys and Bucks might still surpass that because of Brady and the Cowboys? I think normally that Sunday late afternoon window would beat everything, but you know, Giants Vikings, it's not the greatest matchup on paper, even though New York is New York, hasn't been in the playoffs in a long time. Talking about a mediocre ish team with New York, I mean, they're not bad during the playoffs, but they're not great. At least to my knowledge, uh, the Vikings are a very underwhelming top seed or they're not the top seed, actually. Uh, Well, you know, but they're not these are not the teams that people are really excited to watch. Right. Uh, And so I do think that I mean, granted, the Vikings were in the most watched game on NBC all season Thanksgiving, but the holiday had more to do with that than anything. Uh, You know, so it's not a great matchup. But, you know, certainly it'll do that Sunday night game. I think people are sick and tired of this AFC North slog, Ravens, Bengals, Browns. What's the other team in that division? Who am I forgetting? The Steelers, by the way. Oh, even worse. Them. I mean, the Steelers are a great draw, but, you know, you just know the kind of football you're getting when you have one of those or two of those Mm -hmm. four teams involved. So, you know... uh, I, I think Giants Vikings will definitely outdo that the time slot alone. And then probably a more interesting game, but I think this will be the rear year where the Sunday four o'clock game is not the most watched of the weekend in the wild card round. Cause I think Cowboys bucks in that, in that four o'clock window, at least 40 million, if it was in that window, wow, it won't do that well, you know, on Monday night, but certainly 30 million at least, uh, now I will say 506 sports had said on, on its Twitter feed that it is, uh, that ESPN is kind of locked into the four or five on wildcard weekend. Cause they have the Monday night game. So it's easier to schedule the divisional round. If you have the four or five on Monday night, because everything else will be determined. You'll know where, you know, where the four or five will be. So in that case, the NFL would have been deciding between Cowboys uh, Buccaneers and uh, Jaguars Chargers. Mm-hmm. If ESPN had not hired Buck and Aikman, they'd probably get Jaguars Chargers. Interesting. Honestly. I mean, I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, the other thing, too, that horrible event at the Monday night game, DeMar Hamlin's collapse, the reality of the matter is ESPN, that was supposed to be their game of the season. That was supposed to be their top game. And it it actually was. No one is going to count it in the ratings. Uh, it would be extremely tactless to do so. But it was 23.8 million viewers, uh, which is by far the largest Monday night audience of the season. 
Uh, obviously, it doesn't count for anything. The advertisers are not paying that kind of money to put their ads next to breaking news coverage of someone collapsing from cardiac mm -hmm. arrest. So there's just no value whatsoever to those numbers. So for uh, ESPN and ABC, they lose what was their highest profile game of the season. So getting Cowboys bucks, maybe this was not the NFL's motivation, but uh, certainly it serves as a consolation to ESPN. Uh, uh, oh, I believe it was part game. of it. I think it was part of it, and it's a good way to to keep everybody happy uh, yeah. along these lines uh, here with the games coming up for this weekend. Something else to bring up along the lines of uh, the National Football League is the story out on a Monday, as we now tape this on Tuesday, from Don Van Atta, who is an outstanding investigative reporter. These are these have kind of gone the way of the dinosaur to have great investigative reporters. It's not as prevalent anymore, but he does a tremendous job at ESPN. And uh, he, he has a great piece that is still up on their site that is critical of the NFL because the thrust of the piece is that it's not the NFL who wanted to have that game stopped between the Bills and the Bengals. It was the players and the teams who basically said, we're not playing and forced the NFL to vacate the game, suspend the game, and then eventually vacate the game. So much uh, is the reporting uh, that Van Atta has a high-ranking team official, as he dubbed it anonymously, from one of the two teams, giving him info on what was going on inside the command center, very critical of Troy Vincent, who is kind of the liaison for the Players Association that's in that command center, that Troy Vincent was actually part of the thought process of let's restart the game, even though he's publicly saying that that was not the case. Van Atta also reports on why Joe Buck was talking about a five-minute warm-up, John, and that the game would maybe resume. As Van Atta reports, that's because that's what the NFL command center according to his reporting, was telling John Perry, the official who he's in direct contact with, was going to happen. A five-minute warm-up and then play would resume once DeMar Hamlin was off the field. So it's an interesting dive. I want your thoughts, because this is investigative journalists. This is right in the wheelhouse of what we do here and talking about it on sportsmediawatch.com, yeah. the podcast, and what you write about. What do you think about all of that now that we have that out there? Fascinating is a word I'll use. What else will you say? Well, I will say that already that story has fallen out of the top headlines list on ESPN.com. Now, I believe this was filed late last night because Matt was promoting it late last night. So maybe it was front page on ESPN.com late last night. I suspect it wasn't because of the title game between Georgia and TCU. I don't know where it ranked in the top headlines when it was first published. It was toward the bottom uh, this morning, uh, and now it's completely off. Uh, so, you know, ESPN was not promoting this very much. They were not making a big deal out of it. I think it's a very interesting push and pull. They have to defend their reporting, right? They have to defend Joe Buck because the NFL is kind of selling Buck out and selling John Perry out, but they also have to do so while not angering the NFL. But Buck, by the way, defends himself and says in that piece towards the end of it, that we reported what the NFL was telling John Perry and he makes an excellent point, which is if that was wrong information, then why did they not have me retract it? And why to this moment have they not had me retract it if the right. information was wrong? So that was Buck standing up for himself just for those that haven't read it. Anything yeah. else there? Uh, I mean, again, again, this walks the fine line 
of this was ESPN involved in the broadcast. This is yeah. an ESPN investigative reporter who's finding out things about a television partner, ESPN, and the di- and the dynamic of them communicating with ESPN. I find all of that fascinating. What else yeah. from you? Well, I think, you know, the NFL is the NFL uh, and uh, they, they don't handle a lot of things very well. Uh, you know, uh, that's just the reality of the matter. Um, the idea that they were going to go back out and play is so ridiculous with distance, but the night of there was no precedent for canceling an NFL game because of an on-field incident. There was just right. none. So, you know, I mean, it's tough because the the problem, the NFL just never does the obvious thing, which is to say, you know, we should never have hesitated. We should have canceled it immediately, but we did hesitate. Next time we won't. You know, hopefully there won't be a next time, but if there is, mm-hmm. we're going to know to make the right decision. This and, was- let, and let's say this. We covered this thoroughly last week. This was an ultra important game for playoff yeah. seating, et cetera. And I've often uh, lived by this. I was instructed, you know, parenting, whatever, that there's n- there's never a wrong time to be a little patient, something to that effect. Yeah. They were being patient trying to figure out, is DeMar Hamlin okay? If he is okay, if he is resuscitated, if he is sitting up talking to doctors, if he is much better, the things you didn't know as those minutes went on and became 20 minutes and became 30 minutes, is he better or not? Is he better at the hospital or not? Then maybe the game could have resumed. Obviously, you know this, John, and I'm saying this to the audience, it's common sense. There was some psychological uh, concern about these players having watched what they watched and now go play a football game. But in real time, where they're trying to decide the magnitude and the importance of this game for the playoff uh, procedures and uh, not knowing is he better, I give them a little bit of benefit of the doubt on that. But when it became apparent after about 30 minutes that the report was not good, that he was not better, 30, 35 minutes, 40, 45 minutes, then it seems like a no-brainer. Yeah. I think yeah. I think that's fair. Yeah, and I mean, again, all the NFL needed to do was just admit that you know, this was an unprecedented situation and difficult to figure out how to handle it. Uh, but, you know, the NFL is too prideful to do that. So they just make stuff up and get on their high horse. Your speculation, yeah. uh, because this went through all the ESPN vetting and channels to get out on ESPN.com. Do you think that, uh, I, I mean, you've talked about this before. No Bob Lee, no outside the lines anymore. Jeremy Schapp has been. Uh, marginalized to a large degree espn has gotten away from the investigative part or the questioning of things for the for the large part do you think they they were they serving both sides here okay we have an investigative piece but now we know we have to rein it in don't keep talking about it on the debate shows don't don't keep bringing it up we served a purpose we got it out there for those that wanted to consume it but now don't overplay it don't overemphasize it yeah i mean i think they they had to do this because their own reporting is being impugned, but they also want to maintain their relationship with the NFL. So yeah, they, this is kind of what you're going to get. You're going to get a story. You're going to get a story that's a little bit, you know, Hey, I'm going to defend myself. I'm going to defend myself very quietly where no one can see. Right. You know, I mean, that's kind of the way that it goes, you know, and that's how it goes so often in these kinds of circumstances where someone defends themselves, but like, uh, you know, <laughs> They don't want to embarrass their boss. So they get behind closed doors. It's a little bit like that. Uh, and, you know, Van Natta is an inconvenient person for ESPN to have on their payroll. He is. 
Now they, I believe they extended him, but he's. But in- he does a great job of investigative reporting with a lot of different stuff. He had an expose about, uh, I'll name the name, Rich Dalrymple, the vice president of communications yeah. of the Dallas Cowboys, and a whole scandal that had been brewing there. And again, that's that's one of the most powerful owners in all of sports, Jerry Jones, that he was investigating, and he's had other investigations too, uh, that are of that are of interest in in recent years. So they do still have a little of it. Yeah. All right, good enough on that. Let's move on, shall we, and wrap the show up. Here we go. Love it or leave it. Okay, Andrew Siciliano has been an institution on the Sunday ticket on DirecTV, where it started, where it began. A year later, it began on uh, other forms uh, with cable and on devices with Scott Hansen's version of NFL Red Zone. But that is it for DirecTV's relationship. It is the end of their Red Zone channel. Andrew signed off. Uh, after 18 years of doing uh, NFL Red Zone on DirecTV, uh, I, I have gotten to know Andrew a little bit in dealings with him. He's a great guy off the mic as well. So I will put a love it on the run of DirecTV's NFL Red Zone. John, any thought? Because now the uh, the Red Zone coverage that you'll see will be Scott Hansen's, and that will be pretty much it on Find It the Way That You Can Find It There. Any thought there, John Lewis, on Love It or Leave It? Well, you know, I mean, the reality is a lot of people don't have direct TV. I've never mm-hmm. seen the direct TV version of red zone, uh, you know? And, uh, so, I mean, I'm sure Siciliano did a great job, but red zone is so identified with Scott Hansen. It's a little bit like a uh, Joel and Mike on mystery science theater. You know, you have your, your, your preference, right. But, um, I don't know. I mean, I, I've never seen Andrew Siciliano's version. I, I, I the, the first I ever saw of his Red Zone was the clip that was circulating of him signing off because I haven't had direct TV since 2005. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, it, it was the forerunner to it coming a year later in all forms and fashions when they realized what they had. And he was always, uh, you know, very much uh, animated on doing the different highlights and let's go here, let's go there. It's the same thing. So they won't be competing with themselves let's do another one love it or leave it another one here on taylor twelman of espn who will leave the network after 13 years he's been their lead soccer analyst there's some different shakeups going on obviously fox has the world cup and mls has gone away i uh, love it or leave it here on the on the run there and do do we love uh, twelman enough that he's going to get a prominent role somewhere else calling soccer what do you think john yeah well, just today he was announced as part of the Apple TV coverage of MLS, so we know he'll be working there. It uh, looks like ESPN's soccer people are leaving. Julie Foudy is going to be doing mm-hmm. the U.S. national team for Turner. I don't know if that will preclude her from working for ESPN because she does non-soccer things for them too, but ESPN doesn't have any soccer. They don't They don't have anything. There's no need for them to have a big team they can bring in for, you know, I mean, they don't even have the Euros anymore at this point. So, uh, there's just no need for them to, you know, there's just no need for them to have big soccer talent. Uh, not, not at least until 2032, if they get the, well, I guess 2029, they could get the men's world cup back. And one of the things we know here, the women's world cup is, I mean, right. Coming in another decade or so. One of the things we know is ESPN. There's no, there's nobody like ESPN on trying to ignore and you're dead to us. Just ask the national hockey league. I've always found it fascinating that they force fed us uh, scores of the English Premier League, of of La Liga, and all the other soccer and MLS on the crawl, and having to show you results and whatever. 
and now they will largely ignore it. Watch yeah. what happens because they don't televise it anymore. They will largely ignore it except for the biggest of events. So soccer remember, fans, get it elsewhere. A lot of this was John Skipper, too. He's big into soccer. Uh, Bob Lee, who is big into soccer, is mm-hmm. gone. And, you know, uh, there's just uh, they're they're in the UFC business now, not soccer. All right. One more here. Love it or leave it. Uh, interesting that the Australian Open tennis is going on. Love it or leave it for you. Are you going to partake? It's the first tennis major. It's going to play out over the next couple of weeks. Do you watch middle of the night tennis sometimes? The I compelling mean, stars really. are not there as much anymore. Well, there's no Serena, obviously. No Federer, obviously. Uh, there's no Naomi Osaka, who may very well be as retired as Serena and Federer at this point. Djokovic will be there. They haven't kicked him out yet in Australia. You know, they, they're they they're great with tourism over there. They have mm-hmm. not deported Djokovic yet, so I think he'll be playing. No Alcaraz, the number one player in the world, so Novak's path will be easier. I have no idea if ESPN is going to send any people. The last two years, they have not sent anybody to Australia. And frankly, given the ratings, why bother? Mm. Uh, you know, I mean, realistically, but we'll see. Um, you know, it is what it is. I mean, the Australian Open, it's it's a random major in the middle of winter, com- you know, months away from all the other majors. Uh, you know, it has it does not have the prestige of Wimbledon mm-hmm. or uh, the U.S. Open for that matter. Uh, it, it lacks the uniqueness of the French where the French may not have the prestige, but it's on clay. It, it looks right. different, has a different vibe. It's just kind of sticks out like a sore thumb. And, uh, you know, I mean, you got to be up at three in the morning to watch the best matches. So, I mean, look, the Australian Open is great. If it's in the middle of the night, there's nothing going on. You woke up from sleep. You can't get back to sleep. Just turn it on and you can get back to sleep. You know, uh, it'll help you out a little bit. And that's not me saying it's boring. But, you know, when you turn on the TV at 3 a.m., the whole point is to get back to sleep. Right. So uh, we would think now it's interesting in other time zones in the Western time zones. Some of it is not in the middle of the night. It is late night and they get to see it. But again, the biggest names are not there. And the one thing that I know, if you have a, a streaming service like Hulu, which obviously Disney owns, therefore, therefore ESPN, they've got every match on ESPN and ESPN yeah. Plus and on the Hulu, every which direction. I'm talking yeah. about every, everything. Doubles, mixed doubles, yeah. men's, women's, juniors, all of it to sift through. It's all there to be televised. I think with that, we have pretty well covered it all, John Lewis. Anything else that we have left out on all of these different subjects from football all the way to tennis here in this instance? I did want to uh, say that uh, Robert Seidman at Sports TV Ratings uh, has reported that the uh, final quarter hour of the championship game was 10 million viewers Mm. compared to 20 million in the first quarter hour. Uh, the audience peaked in the third quarter hour at 8.30 at 22.4 million and steadily declined, dropping to 15 million at 10, 13 million at 10.15, 12 million at 10.30, and then 10 million at 10. Can I tell you, I can't believe they still had 10 million watching. At, well, I mean, the game's 50, whatever, to seven. So yeah. the fact that they still had something there is pretty amazing. Good stuff. Yeah. Good nugget at the end of the podcast. Anything else? Are we good for another edition? Yeah, I think we're good. Listen, I appreciate your time as always. Thank you to the audience as well. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, etc. By the way, George Offman's Tell Me a Story I Don't Know will return. Special guest, can I say it on this podcast? Chris Chelios kicks off Season 7. Chelios, the former Blackhawks great and now TV analyst with ESPN. 
He is the guest with George on that Sports Media uh, Watch podcast with a Chicago angle. Uh, and also Mike and Phil with the Announcer Schedules podcast. They're back in the new year. They'll have a new edition later this week. For now, John Lewis, thank you. We appreciate you. it as always. And we thank you for listening on the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Why pay more for a separate CoQ10 supplement? Enjoy twice the benefits with Superbeats Heart Chews Advanced. From the number one doctor, pharmacist, and cardiologist recommended beat brand for heart health support, the new Superbeats Heart Chews Advanced by Human is now infused with CoQ10. That's essentially like getting CoQ10 for free. Our powerful blend of beetroot, grapeseed extract, and CoQ10 ingredients support nitric oxide production, healthy blood pressure, healthy CoQ10 levels, and heart-healthy energy with two tasty chews a day. Plus, Superbeats Heart Chews Advance are plant-based, so you get heart-healthy energy without stimulants. For a limited time, Get a free 30-day supply of Superbeats Heart Chews on all bundles and 15% off your first order by going to RadioBeats.com and using promo code DEAL. That's RadioBeats.com, code DEAL.